Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're in a series entitled The uh, Purpose of Community, The Power of Community. We're obviously trying to just get you and I to think about one of these uh, wonderful and most important issues of doctrine in the Bible and how Christianity actually operates, and that is with community. And community is uh, one of those words that can be defined kind of easily and kind of not. It's one of those words that, uh, well, it's hard to do sometimes. Sometimes it's very easy to do. Our heart desire is that you would just move into uh, believing. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. If you have your Bible, would you turn there? If not, it's on the screen, but I'm going to make sure that you can follow with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, 44 through 46. I'm reading three or four of the verses from this particular portion of Scripture that actually outlines the kind of church we want to be. When people ask you, if they do, what kind of a church is City Bible Church? If they're a Christian, they would understand the book of Acts. And you could always say, we're an Acts 2 church. What's that mean? Well, we're a church that believes in the Holy Spirit, but we also believe that we should be built together. And we have those scriptures in Acts chapter 2 that we teach in the membership class. And we preach. It's part of our uh, core value that we have. And we put out there, Acts chapter 2, they continued steadfastly. And the apostles' doctrine, everyone said, teaching is good. Fellowship. What do you say about fellowship? Okay. In the breaking of bread, which we did this morning, but they also had a meal they would use for breaking of bread and in prayer. Now all, would you all say the word all? All All who believe, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. So he's talking about me here. All who believed were together. Now exactly how were they together? Well, they had all things in common. That's a little bit different than our normal 21st century lifestyle. And sold their possessions and goods, which we do at times to give to other people, and divided them among all as anyone had need. Would you not think that it would be pretty cool if you belonged to a group of people that if you had a need emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially that that group of people would actually meet that need. They would do everything within their power to try to move towards you and have that need met. How many of you would think that would be a pretty cool place to go to? Pretty good kind of people to join up with are these kind of people right here and the people that we would like to be like are people that were together and when there was a need, they would actually focus on that need as you heard this testimony this morning, which is one of many, and as people would uh, minister to them and focused on their needs, their needs were met. It's an awesome thing. Church is more than a vertical relationship to God. But in many churches, the vertical is much more important than the horizontal. That is, if I come to church and I meet with God, that's sufficient for me, and I'll go home and and do my life, and maybe do life together with other people, maybe do life by myself. But Christianity was never supposed to be vertical only. It was supposed to have a horizontal piece to it. So that when you come into the body of Christ, 
When you come into a local assembly, when you come where there's thousands or hundreds or fifties of people gathered, no matter how small the church or how large the church, it really doesn't matter. Because after you get about three to five to six intimate friends, you've just about maxed out how many you can be intimate with. So if you're in a church of 50 and you're by yourself, you're going to feel that you're not a part of it. If you're in a church of 5,000, but you have your own small group and your friends and your intimates that you go and do things with and they know where your life is at, the 5,000 is exactly what it's supposed to be. A great place for celebration. A great place for casting vision. A great place for preaching the word and talking about doctrine and fivefold ministry having input to the entire body of Christ. Not every small group will have an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. But the church should have a representation of those ministries corporately to the whole body. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, the doctrine, the vision. Those things that can be shared by the eldership and those things that can be shared corporately. Not every small group would we ever set up to have an eldership or have a deaconship or have five-fold ministry or have all the doctrines sorted out in the small group. That's not the purpose of small group. But it is the purpose of the corporate gathering. They have the five-fold ministry and the eldership and proper covering and doctrine and checks and balances and decision-making and being able to drive the vision and reach into the nations and send missionaries and lay hands on local church guys who are going to plant and gals and, and do the things that the corporate body does when they come together. And you enjoy that. You enjoy sending out the missionaries. You might not know them, but it doesn't matter. You feel like they're family. And when something happens and we pray about it, you feel what we're praying about. Why? Because we're connected spiritually. There's a family of God that's wider than just you and I. It's the it's whole family. And so all the missionaries and the church plants and the activities and the ministry and the, the vision that we have and feeding the poor, you may never meet the people that we feed. You may never take a box of food to them. But you know that the church does that as a whole. You know that we put on certain activities like last night, just a, a music activity for the city. We just did that to kind of put some drops of blessing on people through music and encourage and inspire the young and do an altar call and maybe see some kids saved and just let the kingdom of God be expanded. It's a great thing to do corporately. But the corporate is only one half of how you function. Now, if you only have the corporate... You won't have the other things that I'm going to talk about this morning. And that's why the book of Acts talks about them. And that's why I'm talking about them this morning. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, that's the corporate, the temple, the church, the house, the place, wherever you might gather the groups of people by the hundreds or whatever size and breaking a bread. But this is the part we're talking about from house to house. Everyone say from house to house. Everyone say temple. House, temple, house, temple is the corporate and house is the small group. And so every church should have a heartbeat. Move into the temple like we do this morning on multiple campuses. Doesn't matter how we do the temple service, but it's a corporate. It has a certain structure. It has the ministries I've spoken about. But there also must be this small part. The small group does not necessarily meet in a house. It can be in a restaurant. It can be in a park. It can be in a business office. It can be in a home. It doesn't matter where the small group meets. But the idea of a house is that there's a small part of this large that relates to one another. Ephesians 4 verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by which every joint supplies. 
every joint supplies. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Notice, every joint supplies, every part does its share. When you came in this morning, you came in to worship and to pray. You're supplying a certain part of the atmosphere to the services this morning on the campuses. You supply a prayer. You supply praise. You supply some giving for the corporate vision. But there might not be in a corporate setting like this where every joint supplies one to another. Turn to the person next to you and tell them what they do for a living. All right? That's pretty good. But a lot of you might have come with the person next to you, so that's not a big deal. Now I want you to stand to your feet. Now I want you to do something very missional. This is missional. You're going to reach the unreached people groups of the world. It's the people you don't know in this auditorium. Now, I want every person in this auditorium to go six rows any direction and meet a person and tell them what they do for a living and what their birthday is. Are you ready? Six rows any direction. Let's go. One, two, three. Move it. How many of you found an unreached people's group where you found out someone you didn't know about where they worked or what their name was? Let me see your hands. Oh, my goodness gracious. Isn't that amazing? There's another whole church that comes to this building you don't know anything about. And you know why we don't know anything about it? It's because we normally, out of creatures of habit, sit in the exact same seat. I mean the exact same seat. How many of you sit in the same row or pretty much the same seat every, every service? Let me see your hand. Some people believe I am just an awesome prophetic pastor for me to walk up and say, where were you last week? And they go, wow, you in a church your size? It's not hard. I just look for your spot. There's Mary. Yep, if she's gone, I know if Mary's gone. I even know what her name is. Isn't that amazing? And if I look to your spot, I will know that you're not there. And I look over here and I look over there and I look back over there and I look for Tim up there. There's Tim right there sitting in the same spot. Oh, the Nessics have moved back one row. I can't believe that. They're back one whole row this morning, but they're here. Hallelujah. And so you sit in the same place. Now, what happens? It's not bad. We're creatures of habit. But the fact is your uh, relationship to City Bible Church people is pretty much around the pew you sit in every service. And so you can meet those people and talk and, and, and shake hands. And it's kind of almost like a small group because you see them every weekend and probably you would ask them to pray for you or whatever, but it's not exactly a small group. There's a whole bunch of other people that need to be joined together, but they have to have some kind of a system by which 
you will have to meet some other people. All right? Okay, here we go. The whole body is joined together. Your joining has to take place in a small group. Now, let's define biblical community. This has already been put up. I'll go over this very quickly. Biblical community, I want you not just to listen and take notes as a student. I want you to ask some personal questions this morning. Does this apply to you? The intentional develop of meaningful, long-lasting relationships based on common biblical principles and purposes resulting in each person having a sense of belonging, acceptance, and significance. Now, if I would read that definition again, and if I would put that definition into a small group, this is a small group. This is what a small group probably looks like in any home or any room or any place that they might meet, even in a restaurant. It's only about eight people, maybe ten people. Sometimes it might be a few more than that, but we'd like to keep it to be eight, ten, or twelve people. And so if I would say to this size of a group right here, I want you to have intentional relationships... I want you to develop these relationships around godly integrity principles. I want you to uphold each other. And for one year, I want you to make sure nothing happens to anybody in your group. Now, would you get up and leave? Thank you. She has gone the way of all flesh. Okay, now, she has backslidden, but I don't know it. Or, not backslidden in the sense that she just got filled with desire for sin and just went after sin, she got whapped with life and, and a relationship broke up and, and something else happened and she lost her job and, and then something else happened and then she got a call that her mom was sick and, and then she got something else with her brother and all this stuff in life was going on. But of course she comes and she worships, stand, stand and worship, let me see you worship. And she's worshiping and so I look at her and I say, wow, what a nice girl. Got her life together, smile on her face, money in her pocket. I bet you she is just enjoying life. But inside, she's not enjoying anything. Oh, just a second. Would you remember? Stand, keep standing there. In a service, I can come and go. But now she is missing from the seat that she's been in for three months. Now you can go to a different seat. Now, I might not see her or you. I might not put two and two together for a week. Oh, she's out of town. Second week, uh, third week. You know, I haven't seen her for a while. Someone asks, hey, have you seen Mary around? No, I don't think so. Fifth week, seventh. By the time we even put it together, we even put it together that there's a problem. We can be 10, 12, 14 weeks down the road. Now, what happens in a small group if they meet... How long will it take them to go around and say, oh, uh, we have an empty chair here. It takes them about three minutes. And then they, do you know what happened to her? What can happen in this setting is that Cindy can immediately say, does, any, does anybody know what happened to Mary? Well, no, I, I just talked to her three days ago, but... Uh, Okay, listen, uh, who's going to call her? Lynette says, well, you know what? I go right by where she works. I'm going to stop in and see her. Awesome. Lynette stops in, goes in to see her. The girl breaks down and starts crying, says, nobody's talked to me for weeks. I, I've been so long. I don't know what to do. All of a sudden, within a couple days, 24 hours, 
this person has talked to, maybe the group plans some kind of a thing to help her. If there's a need, they go after her. And before you know it, every joint supplies, everyone's working together, and they're doing something with a person that none of us would know they're doing. None of us would even know there's a problem. None of us would even know that ministry is taking place. But that is what takes place with small groups all over City Bible Church all the time. And that's why people can be ministered to in crisis and uh, whether it's just moving their house somewhere else or if it's something more serious, we need community. How many of you would say we need community? Don't you want someone to know that you're not doing okay? Don't you want someone to pick up the phone and say, hey. Now, this is the problem in a large church. And you can get mad at me, and you can hate me, and you can get mad at the pastors and hate them, and you can have, you know, create your own website just to talk about us because we don't meet your need. That can happen. The problem is, there's no way in any sizable church, over a hundred people even, that any one pastor... Our two pastors can meet the need of every individual in the congregation. If you don't choose to move from a large gathering or medium gathering, whatever size, again, it's not the issue. It's over 100 and we're out of luck. If you don't move to some kind of commitment to a smaller segment of the body that can actually minister to you and and help you and love you and show you compassion and drop by your house and give you a call. And if you're going through a divorce, there's a couple women in that group that are on your case every day talking with you. If, If you're going through a pornography problem. There's a couple men in the group every day that's calling you. They set up their own network. It, it, it is an amazing, amazing thing that can happen if you're in a small group. If you're not, for us to go from The large gathering and even whatever kind of pastoral structure we say we have, for us to go from district pastors to the individual is too far of a drop. You have to have them in groups of six or eight or ten. And when those groups are functioning, the whole church is pretty healthy. Can I hear an amen? Okay, community is like a network. Here's my definition. A net is a fabric made by interlocking thread by knotting and twisting them at the points where they cross each other. You might not have a chance to not twist or cross over anybody in a corporate service. But if you get into a small group, there's going to be some things happen that will cause them to be tied up a little bit. Some of it is they have to cross each other once in a while. Some of it they have to disagree. Some of it uh, something comes up where this person believes something that is so ludicrous that Dan says, where, where did you come up with that thought? Well, in, in school and, and in reading, and I really think, and before you know it, Dan's confronting this. So Dan might just bump into some postmodern little twisted little thing that had dropped onto her framework and she can't quite see the whole picture. And so just in conversing, Dan says, well, you know, not everybody thinks that way. Well, smart people think that way. Well, not really. And they start talking before they know it. There might be a little rub and there might be a little bump before they're able to come to grips with what they're talking about. That's how you get things out in a small group. And actually what establishes a better friendship is where you can express your opinion and someone say, well, that's really interesting. I never thought of that, but maybe we should talk about it as a group. What does a group do? 
They get knit together. The strength of the net depends on the number of twists or knots. The net must be pulled and stretched, and that's relational. All right, community is, here's a bunch of words that hopefully you're going to experience or are experiencing community, small group, and larger small group, ministry teams, safety, fellowship, encouragement, increased faith, new friends, other viewpoints, teamwork, joy, unity, added resources, accountability, immediate pastoral care, interconnectedness, fun, life-changing, and necessary. Now, those words, how many of you right there would look at that list of words and say, I could use a few of those words? I mean, those, those are great words. Now, if we were teaching on the corporate, we would talk more about presence and power and vision and equipping. And those are delicious words also. But the corporate can't make some of these words happen. The corporate can't make some of these accountability words. Safety, net, interconnectedness. That can only happen in a small group. All right, what's the problem? One of them is the 21st century disconnect epidemic. The whole nation is going through a meltdown. Everybody that has statistics on this knows this. The level of community in America is at its lowest level right now in the history of America. We have gone to a place of total disconnectedness. We have gone to a place where loneliness is being defined and redefined. If you go on your website right now, there are a number of websites devoted just for people who are lonely. We did it. We went on, looked at them. Websites where you can just go to a chat box and just talk to other lonely people. I have some of the comments from those chat boxes that are right now. Loneliness is defined as being without company, alone. I can't stand it when I see people come into the church alone and leave alone. You can tell in their face. Others are going out to eat. Others are meeting somewhere. You can hear the conversations. But this person kind of just comes in alone and leaves alone. Sunday after Sunday, service after service. Not healthy. My heart goes out to that. Say, that's not the way it should be. Cut off from others. Solitary. A person who is sad from being alone, they're lonesome. Producing a feeling of bleakness and desolation. They feel that desolation and they're not quite sure what to do about it. A man just recently put an ad in the Kansas newspaper and, and the ad simply said this. I will talk or I will listen to you talk for 30 minutes without comment for $5. That's the ad he put in. I will listen to you talk for 30 minutes. I will not comment. I will not butt in. I'll just listen to you and I'll charge you $5. He put the ad in and within two days he was up to 40 people a day. Five times 40, that's $200. Would somebody please try that ad here in the area? I would be interested to see what would happen. I'm serious. Somebody try it. See what would happen. And then make sure you donate the money back <laughs> to all the lonely people that need help. What a shame if someone had to pay someone five bucks to listen to them. The statistics in America right now are frightening. I'm not sure I really believe every statistic, you know, because they have to be interpreted. But you have to believe something and you have to try to get your mind around it. But right now in America, they say that there are 53% of all American adults, 18 and over, 53% that do not have even one person to deeply speak about life. One person. 
20 years ago, it was 10%. In 20 years, we have grown from a 10% margin of people say, man, I don't have anybody to talk to, to 53%. Over half say, uh, no, I don't, I don't have one person that I would say I could discuss something very deeply about my life or about life itself. Not even one person. Why? Because we've gone through a disconnect meltdown. All right, the fourfold purpose for community is relating, caring, growing, and reaching. The fourfold purpose of community is relating, caring, growing, and reaching. Now, we can make those four things happen in a small group. And again, I can't make, I would not even know it, it would happen on Rock of Butte or 217 or Vancouver. I, I wouldn't know if this would, would take place. How do I put my dipstick in? How do we even... Uh, have a feeling about these words happening in the congregation, but in a small group. If I turn to the small group and say, okay, you guys are supposed to relate and build relationships within this small group right here. We can put a dipstick in. We can measure that. We can bring the backslider back. Come, you're, you've been redeemed now. The small group got you. Give her a hand. She's come back to the Lord now. All right. And so now she's back in the group and the group has gone through a little maturity doing this. The group had to learn how to pray. Say, well, you pray for her. Well, I don't know how to pray for a backslider. How do you pray for a backslider? So the group helped him and says, well, listen, this is how you pray. And, and you, you call. Well, what, what, do I, what do I say to her if I call her? Will she be offended? I, I don't know. You're going to have to figure it out. You're going to have to get nice. And, and I know it's a hard thing. And you're going to have to, uh, you're going to, have to be sweet and sensitive. But you're going to have to trust the Holy Spirit. And, and you're going to have to intercede for your wife as she reaches out to this person. And Lynette, you're going to have to stop. And so the group began to learn how to relate and they they begin to learn one of the most important things they begin to learn how to care for someone else you can come to church and attend church the rest of your life and care for no one you can take notes on the sermons you can clap you can lift your hand you can give your tithe you can cry on a video you can look at a mission send out or a church plan say that's wonderful and you can be involved in your spirit and heart which is awesome but never actually relate to someone intimately or try to care for someone that is struggling when someone that is struggling says well listen uh you know poncho goes to dan and poncho says uh listen uh, i got a pornography problem dan and dan says why well, i've never talked to anybody with a what do you mean well you don't look like you have a pornography problem i mean you you look normal a lot of normal people are sinners and so he looks at him and says, wow, you, what, whatever happened? How did you get into that? And so Pancho starts sharing. Now Dan is faced with something that's over his head. He's never counseled a guy in pornography. He's never gone into that whole thing, how it got there. Or is it spiritual, demonic? Is it habitual? Wow, what do I do? And so Dan talking to his lay pastor. Dan talking to his district pastor. Dan maybe even picks up a couple books from the Christian bookstore on what happens with people in pornography. And he actually takes Poncho on and says, okay, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray with you. We're going to meet, start meeting every, every week. Dan, he doesn't know what they're going to meet totally about, but he's going to try it. All of a sudden, Dan has the Holy Spirit helping him. Pretty soon, he's counseling. Pretty soon, he's given some pretty good stuff to this young man. Before you know it, 
Dan's a specialist. He's looking for other people. Are you on pornography? Are you on pornography? He's checking the whole group out. Are you? Are you suffering from anything? I mean, now what happens is through the experience that really is not necessarily supposed to be full-time pastors doing all this. It's every joint supplies, every part is working, all the gifts of the Spirit. People can care for one another, carry one another's burden, lift up those that are down, bear the yoke of others, be passionate. It's in the Bible. And so in a small group, he actually has a chance to start caring. And in his caring, what happens? He starts growing. He reads, he prays, or... He gets shattered. He gets disappointed. This man divorces his wife. He leaves because of pornography. Dan can't help him. He tries to get him into the counseling. It doesn't work. He tries to go after him. It doesn't work. And Dan, all of a sudden, his burden, his life changed. He comes home after dinner. Did Puncher call? Comes home. Hey, know that anything? All of a sudden, this man's involved in an emotional thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a hurt. It's a burden. You're wrestling with somebody's lifestyle and you don't win. You grow. You grow in grace, you grow in God, you grow in prayer, you grow in faith. The next time around, you have a few more tools, a few more insights. You go after the situation a little different, and then you win one, and you start feeling like, you know what, I can help people. Can I hear an amen out here? you got to grow. You can't just come to church, people. It's not what it's about. And there's no way for us to pastor the 5,000 plus people that come through the 10 services we have every week. There's no way. We could hire 100 pastors and we would still not do the job. Why? Because pastoring has to take place on a grassroots level of people relating to people, being accountable to people, being loved by people, and then you start growing, and then you start what? As soon as you start growing and you get help, what does she do? She was a backslider. What does she do? She knows a couple of the kids, a couple of the young people. So she starts saying, you know, I have a burden. What's, what's that, hon? I, I, I have two friends that are totally backslidden. But I'm afraid to go after them by myself. Guess what? Lynette says, well, I, I'll help you. What do you want to do? Well, could you meet me at Starbucks? Maybe we could talk to this one girl. I think we could help her. Before you know it, she becomes a reacher outer to people and brings that person into their group. Now, what happens to her? She starts feeling strong, like she has mission, like she can be a helper, like she's significant in people's life, like there's something important about what she might be able to do. And if she finds a friend, she brings into the group, weeping in that group, repenting and putting their life together, I guarantee you, she is ruined for life. She will never, ever settle to just sit in the pew. She will start reaching out to people thinking, you know, I can do this. And you know what? My small group rises to the challenge and they can do it. This is an amazing way to live. And then you start living real life. It was never meant, listen to me, it was never meant to be. Not in the Bible, not in Christ, not in the first church, and not in the heart of God. It was never meant to be that a professional ministry paid were being the pastors of a church from the platform or an office to set up everything, and they do the work of the ministry, they do the work of counseling, they do the work of troubleshooting. It was never meant to be. Never. That's why it doesn't work. What was meant to be 
is every joint supplies, every part is working, everybody is equipped, everybody has gifts, everybody is a Christian, everybody bears burdens, everybody looks out after each other, everyone uses the tools they, they receive from the Holy Spirit and learn in life, everyone starts taking notice of where the church is and the body is, and you all become like Jesus in heart. The whole church becomes a pastoral heartbeat. And nobody falls through the cracks because of you.